We're showing a war pony love without walls, and the beasts are rising to form a covenant. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, as always, we have a load of new movies to talk about uh, today with Van. He's seen them all. I haven't. In fact, I correct that. I've seen one of them. You which have. I, I'm not going to reveal which one it is yet, but I will say I really enjoyed it. And I cannot wait to talk to you about it in just a bit. But uh, let's start at the top. Uh, War Pony in cinemas from today. If I'm honest, Van, I watched the trailer to this just to be a little bit prepared for uh-huh. tonight. Yeah. It really doesn't give away much. All I got was two young kids. One finds a dog and then he makes some money. You're not far off. By the way, just a sidebar, because you've been very polite and not pointed this out. I had a shaving accident. That's why I look like a nine-year-old. I'm sorry. Okay. I was going to say something. I, I just I, thought... I, I've, not- I've noticed the glares. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, 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 I just want to, like, elephant in the room rather than the pony in the room. Okay, so uh, from the elephant to the pony, let's talk about War Pony. Okay, so this is a really bizarre concoction of a film. So this is co-directed by Riley Keough, okay? Granddaughter of Elvis. Oh. Riley Keough, okay? She's co-directed this with, I'm trying to remember the name, it's Gamel, it's uh, Gina Gamel. Okay, so the story here goes that when, they were, when, when she was off making American Honey in about 2015, with Shia LaBeouf. Riley Keough uh, became fast friends with uh, two of the younger actors on the crew, got to them, they formed a friendship over time, they had work- writing workshops, things like that, and eventually she has, uh, they have brought this story to the screen. Now, this is uh, essentially two seemingly disconnected stories of two seemingly disconnected um, young men. One is about 12 or 13 years old, I think the other is meant to be about 19 or 20. And they are both members of, I'll have to look this up, it's the, the Lakota tribe. So Native American Lakota tribe. They live on, I think it's the Pine Indian Reservation. And it is their, their, their lives, the scrapes they get into. The younger one uh, finds himself uh, kicked out of his home, has to move in with his aunt, finds himself getting caught up in drug trafficking in his school, you know, wants to make a move on, you know, the, the object of his desire. You have the older one, who is the hustler, who, as you pointed out, finds a dog and makes some money. That is kind of <laughs> his plot. If we're honest, that's kind of his plot. He just wants to flog some dogs. So, um, yeah, from this mix comes the directorial debut of Riley Keough, because that's a world we live in. Have a listen. I'm going to get a job soon. Oh, yeah? I can get a phone and talk to my girl. You ain't got no girl. You're a really good dancer. Thanks. Can I have a kiss? I don't want to talk to you right now. Why? I'm a changed man. Hey, are you guys hiring? Hey, you might be in luck with the job. I heard you got an expensive new dog and a fancy job. You mad at me? No, I don't expect much from you. Don't bring no drama into my TV, okay? So, obviously, I mentioned that I'd seen the trailer and it didn't give away a lot. I mean, the one Mm. thing I did get from the trailer, though, is it looks like quite uh, a serious emotional story. Yeah. Now, obviously, I watched the same trailer you did. Because uh, that's where that clip comes from. Uh, yeah. The trailer features a bevy of pull quotes from, uh, I'm just going to charitably assume, cardigan-clad critics who, uh, you know, raise their pinkies when drinking the cups of fine China tea. Um, yeah, uh, one of them actually referred to as heartfelt and uplifting. Uh, I, <laughs> I can't imagine what has to have been in said tea for him to have seen that. 
But uh, no, not not heartfelt looking at all. This is quite a drab state of affairs. I'll be honest with you, I was not taken by this at all. Directorially, it looks the biz, but again, you know, in this day and age, I, I don't know if I'm just getting old and cynical. I don't know if it's because this week we saw Apple's latest bit of kit and the way that that can film things. Being able to direct a film is becoming a lot less of an actual skill than it used to be and more about the tech you can afford. Now, as far as representation goes, that's kind of the big trump card here. Like I say, it's a nice, it's a very slick production. I mean, but it is kind of boilerplate in that regard. It feels like, to me, oh, look, a rich white girl got her hands on some expensive camera equipment paid a crew and they they made a nice looking film that i'm sure will look very lovely on on the average imac screen but i say outside of that it's the representation element now this is uh co-written by uh, i think it is co-written by gina gamel i think it's uh, uh bill reddy and oh, sue bob i think his name is what is it uh hang on, i had this written down somewhere uh franklin sue bob sue as in uh sue city iowa sue sue indian right Trump. sue yeah um and it is in that regard that actually in delving into the culture of this that you think, okay, that's that's kind of the rousing success here. It's exploring that culture. It is that representation. It's a culture that you don't often see depicted in as direct, as blunt, as raw and exposed a way as has been done here. Doesn't necessarily mean the film's any good. Personally, I thought it was bloody boring, but... <sighs> I mean, that was going to be my next question. I was going to ask if, whatever you're saying, if you if you push that aside, mm-hmm. is it something that you start watching and get drawn in enough to kind of not pick your phone up and look at Twitter? And But it sounds to me like you were probably tweeting throughout. Oh, no, I wasn't tweeting throughout, because obviously I do make a concerted effort to pay attention during these things. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm no better than the average TikTok influencer who seems to, con- seems to make up most of our multimedia screenings now. Um, so... No, I mean, I, I managed to keep my phone down. I, I'll be honest, I, I was tempted to reach for it a few times. I never did. But uh, yeah, this this is, no, I, I can't see who the audience for this is going to be. Now, it won the Camera Door at Cannes, which is the award they give for outstanding first feature films. Oh. And I, I mean, it's Elvis's granddaughter filing a film at Cannes. You know what I mean? I feel like that might have been a given. I feel like that might have just been given on principle. You know what I mean? Like kind of a, a sight unseen kind of a thing. Yeah. Much like the entire career, for instance, of Riley Keough. As you can tell, I'm not a fan of Nepo babies. And I don't think they get more Nepo-ish than the granddaughter of the, you know, the king of rock and roll. So, and don't get me wrong, we're going to have an entirely different, a related but very different conversation next week about detaching the art from the artist when we talk about The Flash, for instance, because that is going to be a very difficult film for some people to review, given a lot of things. Also, there's a line of dialogue in that that apparently is going to cause some real offence. But yeah, this one, I mean, kind of felt like Jaden Smith directing a film. I'm sure it would look lovely, but does the world need this? I mean, I would argue that the Lakota tribe, yes, they will benefit from it. And, you know, it's it's nice to see that representation there. Do kind of wish that maybe it had been directed by someone from the Lakota tribe as well, rather than a famous white guy's rich white granddaughter, perhaps. Just a thought. How how long is it? Did, Did you, like, figure it was too long or...? 
It's about an hour 55. Isn't that an hour 55? I think I have that right. About an hour 55. And, uh, hang on, it is, in fact, exactly one hour 55. Look at that, like a steel drum. Ha! <laughs> Um, the fact that you yeah. remembered that speaks volumes. Yeah, it should tell you an awful lot, doesn't it? I wasn't clock, walking, clock watching or nothing. I was just, you know, sat there thinking, I kind of wish this was over. Like I say, it, it's kind of trying. And yeah, there's, there's, it just feels like a lot of meandering. There is just a lot of pandering around, just pottering around from point to point. To, I, I wasn't really taken by it, to be really honest. It's not a film we'll ever watch again. And would I recommend it? Hell no. So, yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, of course, Don't. you can go and see uh, <laughs> you can go and see War Pony, which is out in cinemas from today. If you would like to waste two hours of your life, which I'm sure Van would an hour fifty five, waste only an hour, uh, an hour fifty five, an hour fifty five, of course. <laughs> um, all right. So we are back to another new movie in a moment. One that myself and Van Connor have both seen. Guy Rich's The Covenant. We're going to v- review it together in just a second. Stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back. Uh, so we got more new movies to talk about. Um, in fact, the next one is one that myself and Van Connor have both seen. Um, now, it's not in cinemas. It's available on Prime Video and it has been available for the last Friday, which is why I've managed to watch it uh, as well as Van. It is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Probably the best time I've had with my clothes on for a, quite a while. Really? I mean, it's worth pointing out that you still haven't finished watching The Raid, and I'm going to hold this <laughs> over you until the day you die, sir. I mean, what about Sisu? Anyway, beside the point, beside the point. Uh, just a quick thing. Do you know why this is specifically called Guy Ritchie's The Covenant? No, I did wonder why they would want to extend the, the title mm-hmm. so much. Because they didn't want people to confuse it with the 2006 forgotten horror movie, The Covenant. That's why. Ah. And I was sort of thinking, okay, Guy, my, my, my bro, come on, man. Nobody remembers 2006's The Covenant. And if, if you think that's a concern, I think that's more about you than the audience. Nobody remembers that movie. I owned it on DVD and I don't remember The Covenant. Good God. Anyway, okay, so um, one of two movies about the exact same subject matter that are out around the same time. Um, this stars Jake Hall as the, uh, he's the, the special forces soldier, isn't he, who, uh, you know, finds his way, he's basically, via injury, is shipped back stateside from Afghanistan and uh, then re- then realises that the interpreter who has been, you know, assisting he and his unit in seeking out high-value targets, you know, to putting himself and his family in danger, has been left behind and has been forced to go into hiding because it's known that he has been assisting, you know, US uh, US forces. So, with no one to turn to, no help whatsoever and no backup, he decides to do that thing that you only get to do in either a movie based on a true story, a thousand true stories, or just a movie. He tools up, goes back to Afghanistan and says, fine. I'll do it myself. And here's him giving an impassioned speech as to exactly why. I see. You brought me here for an intervention or to slap my wrist. That's not why I'm here. You think if I could be shot of this debt, I wouldn't be? You think if I could just go through the usual channels, I wouldn't? That is not how this debt works. It demands a result, not an appeasement. There is a hook in me. One that you cannot see. 
but it is there. I just thought it was a really, really good, powerful movie uh, about mm-hmm. trust and loyalty and explosions, and I just absolutely loved it. I mean, like your three priorities there, trust, loyalty, and explosions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really good, isn't it? Um, it's very similar to, there's a guy, there's a, a Gerard Butler movie out, I think it's out stateside, we've not had it yet, called Kandahar, that apparently is the exact same movie with Jerry Butler, which I imagine is just going to be a dumber version of this. Um, first and foremost, it doesn't feel like a Guy Ritchie movie at all. No. Um, this is very much a sort of, feels like a workmanlike effort from Guy Ritchie. It's not even got his zip bang flashy style that he usually brings to like his popcorny blockbusters so you look at his, his Sherlock Holmes movies for instance or The Man from Uncle or uh, Ruse de Guerre recently with Jason Statham it's not got any of that that pop factor he is going grounded he's going gritty and it, it works like it, it's not immediately recognizable in any way as a guy Richard like, this really does feel like it could have been directed by anybody you know, as, as long as it was up to the same standards. For all the identif- identification you can make of it, though, not a guy, Richard. We do not go into this looking for one. Now, um, obviously, we're talking about this because it's a slow release week. We didn't get to cover this last week, so it's nice that we do, and it's nice that you get to see it as well. Um, yeah. how, how did you find the, the, the performances from Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Darcelin? I thought they were absolutely... Both of them drew me in. They mm. were both brilliant, actually. And um, I've forgotten his name again. The one Dar- that I Darcy said... Lim. He reminds me of Vin Diesel, and I thought that the minute he came on the screen, he's like uh, just a, a tanned Vin Diesel, basically. And even his attitude is very Vin Diesel-y in, in you know, a lot of the yeah, stuff that he does. Yeah. There is a sort of Arab Vin Diesel quality to the man. Yeah. Isn't he? he looks, looks, kind of looks like the. If you look at his, his his very sexy headshot on IMDb, he does kind of look like the love child of Vin Diesel and the guy that played uh, Calvin in uh, Hollyoaks, played Sasha's big brother <laughs> in Hollyoaks. But uh, yeah. There's very much that going for it. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's brilliant in this. Yeah, really, he is. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is... For my money, Jake Gyllenhaal is probably one of the most unappreciated stars out there. And I say that, you know, fully secure in the knowledge that, you know, last year we watched him in a Michael Bay car chase movie, and he was brilliant in that. Jake Gyllenhaal, it's worth noting, has never won an Oscar. And I find that insane after about 25 years of this guy, because it's been coming up on, like, 25 years since Donnie Darko now. And at some wow. point, we need to start recognizing that Jake Gyllenhaal is one of the true blue, you know, thefts that we have now. Like he's, I mean, he's arguably the success story version of Tobey Maguire. You know what I mean? Like he, they, they kind of have similar starts. Only Tobey Maguire gets really into gambling with his Spider-Man money and kicking off the plot of Molly's game. Yes, that's who that was really about. If you didn't know, you don't have to Google it. The Michael Sarah character in Molly's game is in fact Tobey Maguire. So yes, he's a very twisted individual. If you know wow. a lot of that movie, um, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think he's absolutely fantastic in this. Really, really something. Great supporting cast as well. Uh, you get Johnny Lee Miller, who it's so weird to me seeing Johnny Lee Miller middle-aged. Like middle-aged Johnny Lee Miller from Hackers and, and Elementary, just, you know, there with his moustache and his crew cut. And then you've got Alexander Ludwig, who I spent the whole movie thinking, he he can't be the kid from Race to Witch Mountain, can he? And he is. He is, in fact, the kid from Race to Witch Mountain with Dwayne Johnson, who then went on to be in The Hunger Games. And brilliantly, in recent years, the wrestling series Heels with Stephen Amell, which, if you've not seen it, is actually worth a watch. We finally get the second season soon. I, I really liked this. If I have a complaint to make about it, it's 
just crosses the two hour mark, about two hours, three minutes, takes about an hour and five to actually get to the central plot. Like the, the setup of the relationship between Darsalim and, and Gyllenhaal, the establishment of that brotherhood and that bond, takes more than an hour to get there. And it's not an especially complex uh, dynamic. It's not an especially complex story. But it is drawn out. And I would argue that could be half an, half the length it is. You could shorten that to half an hour. Like, yeah. this could very easily go from two hours, three minutes, to like 95. And you lose a lot of the sort of meandering in that first hour. But beyond that, though, I was really taken in by this. Because of that, 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 that drawn out element, though, you do find yourself really getting into the sort of rescue mission element. And then pretty much the movie stops. Which... That, that felt like a bummer because I really was on for the ride at that point. Like, I, yeah. I'm just going to say the bridge sequence. You know, when we're on the bridge sequence. Like, I was really in there. Like, oh, yeah, come on. Give me, I can't wait to see what comes after this. And then, obviously, <laughs> the movie goes where it goes. Um, I say I really like this. I would, like I say, I imagine the Gerard Butler one's just going to be the same but dumber. I don't think it'll be as good as this, though. I imagine it might be better for pacing. But I don't think it's going to be as good as this. I thought this was really solid. I'd agree with you on the pace thing because, I mean, we were messaging each other like just before going, right, we're going to watch it now. Let's watch it yep. together at the same time. <laughs> and there was a, a, probably about 10 minutes in, there was a mm. moment when I thought, oh, I'm going to just have a look at my phone. And I had to be strict. And that was because exactly what you're saying. It was a little mm. bit slow to get into the point of the action and, and the real, the big story plot. Um, uh, once it had got there, though. Mm. I was all in. Absolutely. It hooks all you. In. I mean, going with the clip, there is a hook in you. You know, watching it very <laughs> much so. Yeah, I agree. No, absolutely. I love that. I would give that a four out of five. I'll go with that. I, I too, I think I'd go with a four out of five as well on that one. I think it's a two thumbs up from me, one thumb slightly wavering for the for, for the uh, for the for the pacing, I think, in that first hour. But like I say, it's in that first hour, it's not that you're not enjoying it, it's just that you think it's a bit laboured, isn't it? Like, are we getting to the plot of this? But okay, you know, they do get there, though. Yeah, absolutely. And even better, you don't need to go anywhere to watch it because it is on Prime Video right now. So you can watch it this weekend if you want to. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, worth it. Now, two uh, for move... two, incidentally, uh, for Guy Ritchie movies going to Amazon Prime. In fact, no, three for three for the last three Guy Ritchie movies going straight to streaming in the UK. Wrath of Man. Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre, and now The Covenant. What does the British distribution industry have against Guy Ritchie, of all people? Yeah, I was going to say, why? Why yeah. would it go straight to Amazon streaming? But, you know, we it's don't all, know. For all their Madonna haters, that's what it was. It's for, for all those Madonna years, people are now getting the payback. <laughs> Jealousy, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yes, if you want to watch it, it's on Amazon Prime Video right now. We are back in a moment where I cannot wait to hear what Van thought about this. We're going to talk about Transformers Rise of the Beasts next. And I'm not looking like what you're looking like on your face. I'm not liking that, but we'll find <laughs> out in a second. Stay there. Now it's time for a segment we like to call Offscreen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. What's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. And, you know, thankfully, our rent's getting paid this week by the good people at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. So skip trips to the grocery store. No jaunt to Tesco for us on this one. And count on HelloFresh instead to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh will keep your taste buds on their toes. There's over 40 recipes, over 100 
seasonal convenience items to choose from every single week. There's so, so much variety. And, you know, there's, there's quick and easy options, too. So you can you can try things like their fast and fresh pineapple chicken tacos, which I can vouch for. They are awesome. Falafel power bowls, things like that. You can make all things like this in less than 15 minutes. I've used HelloFresh for years myself. I'm a really, really big fan. There's Green Chef as well, one of the sister companies that I've used. Big fan of them as well. The chicken tacos, man. The chicken tacos, you just, you, you wouldn't believe. And best of all, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash offscreen50. Use the code offscreen50 and you can get 50% off. Plus, your first box ships for free. So go to HelloFresh.com slash offscreen50 or just go to HelloFresh and use the code offscreen50. Say for 50% off and first box ships for free. So HelloFresh, get on it, eat up, eat hearty. It's America's number one meal kit for a reason. Hello and welcome back. Uh, right, we've got another new movie to talk about. Um, <laughs> fans' faces still not looking good. Transformers: Rise mm. of the Beasts. It's in cinemas from today. Van saw it last week. Um, right, what did you what did you think? I mean, I saw it. You know, in in a building that was surrounded by life size, not a life size Optimus Prime and Optimus Primal, and I think this was two days before they were actually doing the red carpet premiere. Uh, so the. We have had something of a reboot of this series in recent years. You might remember back in 2018, towards the end of 2018, we got Bumblebee from Travis. I was in the live-action debut, directorial debut of Travis Knight, former head of... I think he's still the head of Leica, actually, Leica Animation. That took place in the 1980s. Right. That now seems to be the primary continuity. We seem to be forgetting the Michael Bay movies entirely. They don't seem to have happened. Now, the reason I say that is because otherwise the plot of this makes even less sense than it already kind of has to. So this is now about a decade on from the events of Bumblebee. Uh, the action has been transplanted from I think, San Francisco in that way in Bumblebee to New York in this once the mid-1990s. Our new human lead is Anthony Ramos from West Side Story. He is an ex-Marine who's still like relative like kind of college age and he's kind of the struggling breadwinner of the of, of his you know Brooklyn family. He uh, randomly, whilst whilst taking on a criminal job to, to make ends meet, you know, nicking a car, nicking a Porsche for, you know, the dodgy guy down the block, um, he uh, he finds out that the, uh, the Porsche he's nicked is, in fact, wouldn't you know it, a Transformer. <laughs> of course it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's an Autobot. In fact, it's a very specific Autobot. I'm not even going to name the Autobot because it's going to do that in the clip for us. And um, before you know it, he finds himself drawn into a conflict with the, the heroic Autobots. And they're not actually Decepticons in this one. They are a, a new faction who are um, basically in the service of the planet-eating Transformer entity Unicron who is one of the most ancient of Transformer gods, literally the planet eater. If you remember the animated movie from the 80s, this is who Orson Welles voiced. Like, this was Orson Welles' final role, was voicing this character in the 1980s. That's how you end a career that involves Citizen Kane. You go out on a Transformers movie. Um, anyway, he finds himself you know, teaming up with the Autobots to take on Unicron and his minions, led by the sinister warrior Scourge, who's voiced inexplicably by Peter Dinklage. And uh, they're not alone. They also find allies in the form of the Maximals, who are basically primate transformers, <laughs> which, inc which includes 
uh, like a, a hawk type bird transformer creature, a sort of a saber-toothed tiger one, and of course a gorilla. We're at eight whose name is Optimus Primal and is voiced inexplicably by Ron Perlman of all people. Yeah, Hellboy is now a Transformer. Um, but I can see the look on your face. You really want to know who the uh, the new lead Transformer is, who our hero has to team up with, and more importantly, who's voicing him. So yeah. I'm going to let him introduce himself in the clip and I'm going to see if you can ID the voice. And um, I think when you've, when you've wiped up the vomit afterwards, I think you may get it. <laughs> I haven't cooped up forever, dude. This is probably a lot for you, huh? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought after the car chase we were boys. What are you? The name's Mirage. Come on. Give me a little, give me a little, give me a little, give me a little tap. Give me a little tap. There you go. Now we're friends. Oh, great. The gang's here. They're more like you? a human here i'm nobody i ain't even seen nothing i'm not even seeing anything right now oh that's a really hard one i can't i mean it sounds a bit like the rock that <laughs> is pete davidson my friend really yes that is pete davidson pete davidson's wow. bde has now actually infected the transformers universe as well it wasn't bad enough that he had to have that cameo in fast x recently no He's now in the Transformers universe as well. Um, now, I'm, I'm not a fan of this series, as you very well know. Yeah. I thought like, Bumblebee is far and away the best one. Number two on that list, I will put as the original 2007 Michael Bay one that started this series. And I would rank this as the third. That is a very low bar, however. I, I wouldn't even describe this as the third best. I would describe it as the third least terrible. Ouch. About as polite as I could be. It makes... No sense. I mean, I suppose if you really, really know the mythology, maybe it does. But like this starts, for instance, with the, the, the setup of the whole Maximals thing, where they have their own planet, which seems to be like a primitive Earth-type planet, and then Scourge comes along and like you know, wants the, the MacGuffin, the, the goober, as Spider-Man would say, wants the goober, which is a transwarp key, I think, in this one. They have to get it away from him, and then they blow up the planet. And I'm like, okay, so hang on a minute. They're primates. Does this mean... Hang on, where do the Autobots come in? Do they do they evolve on a different planet? And then later on, it seems like the Autobots came first, but it's never specifically explained. And I didn't go to the bathroom during this. It's worth noting. <laughs> 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 I started again. And then I'm going to go to the bathroom and actually explain what any of this nonsense is actually about. Um, right. Anthony Ramos, he's really trying, but he's trying in that way that everyone tries when they're in the leaders. He's no Haley Steinfeld, that's for sure. Uh, Dominique Fishback uh, in this as well from uh, Power. I think it was the, the Jamie Foxx uh, one, Power, last year. And she does the best she can with what's kind of a pretty generic, oh, I'm the, uh, I'm the unappreciated secretary kind of a role. I'm the unappreciated secretary who actually knows more than the boss type role. It just so happens that, you know, she works in a museum, so she actually knows all about antiquities. So yet again, this series relies on the ancient aliens nonsense because the Transformers, you know, came to Earth in the first one of these, but apparently all they did for most of their existence for millennia was just keep coming to Earth at different points in history and they're just leaving crap around that then just got turned into humans. Now, the pyramids and the, the temples and all of this nonsense. It's just like, like, crap. 
Do you know what? This is less planet Earth and more a bus station at this point. For the for the amount of like you know transformer traffic that comes through planet Earth, it, the planet may as well be a bus station. The reason this makes no sense, by the way, is because if you remember the fifth one of these, I want to say the one where Mark Wahlberg was a virgin and Anthony Hopkins kind of like you know embarrassed his own embarrassed his entire career by saying the words "dude" uh, over and over. That one established that Unicron was, in fact, the planet Earth. So I have to presume now that that is just a different continuity. Um, There is an attempt to mine a shared cinematic universe out of the end of this movie. Now, I spoiled it for you before we did this review. Um, Mm. There is an attempt to craft a shared cinematic universe out of certain toy brands with this that caused me to loudly make an exclamation in the Cineworld IMAX screen that was not child-friendly, let's just say that politely, and is one of the most patronising things I've ever seen put in a movie. And if you knew the brand they were actually referring to, believe me, that's saying something. I will also say, this movie is so... It's mostly just dull. It's mostly just crashy, crashy, wallop, wallop nonsense. It's got none of the heart and charm that Bumblebee had. Bumblebee was very much a a Spielbergian story. It it finally made good on the, you know, a boy and his dog, it's a boy and his car, only in this case it's a girl and her car. Emotional. That emotional, Amblin like weight that you had with Bumblebee you do not get here in any way, shape or form and is in no way helped by Pete Davidson broing out every chance he gets. Um, as, as a little aside, it is nice that they did manage to include the exosuit thing from the animated 1986 movie. I did think that was... Even I caught that little reference, although the circumstances of it are a little different. Um, the movie is 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 so... Oh, I'm just going to say so unimaginatively put together that at one point they go to Peru. A Peruvian transformer is actually introduced, and he's like a VW camper van named Wheeljack, and he transforms, <laughs> transforms into his into his like you know humanoid form, and starts speaking with you know with this this you know regional voice. And I I turned to Zara Phelan when we when we were watching this. I went now. Best case scenario, that's Pedro Pascal. But knowing this series, they probably phoned it in and went and just, just went and got Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. Wouldn't you, Adam and Eve, it? They went and got Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. I checked. It is. It's Danny Rojas. And I'm thinking, good God. Like, what? There's no imagination put in this whatsoever. It is so ploddingly inert. For a movie that, I mean, by the point, we've now gone through seven of these. And I'm sorry, but you know if you're going to like these or not. And this is not for the Bumblebee crowd. If you if you if the, if you're like me and the only one of these you really enjoy is Bumblebee, stay the hell away from this one. If you are the kind of brain dead idiot that enjoyed any of the Michael, the, the sort of two through five of the Michael Bay ones, oh yeah, this is right up your alley. Go for it. Just just go for it. Yeah, just <laughs> go for it. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that final scene in the exact opposite direction that I did. Um, wow. I mean. <laughs> The beasts rise, but uh, to, to what exactly? I mean, the bar is incredibly low, so they're not exactly raising high. You know what I mean? Like this? It, it, no, this is just. I mean, it's it's directed for the screen by Stephen Capel, uh, who did uh, Creed Two, I think. And yeah, I think he left his directorial heft on the table with that one because this is nowhere near as coherent or tightly put together a movie as Creed Two. And Creed Two was all fan service. So the idea that he can't make anything out of what's effectively a, a you know two-hour, ten-minute toy commercial, yeah. You know, in that way, you remember when we were kids and Transformers toys were made out of, like, die-cast metal? Yeah, yeah. Right. They, they were really good toys, weren't they? And yeah. I remember uh, 
my mum pointing out when the Michael Bay movie started, the modern toys were made of plastic and they were crap. I, I feel like that in and of itself is very much a statement as to the, tra- the state of the Transformers brand. Like, I, I think you can read a lot into that. Um, complete garbage, ugly to look at, unentertaining, didn't laugh. I didn't laugh at anything they wanted. I mean, I, I laughed at things I probably wasn't supposed to. I laughed at how bad it was at time times. Uh, you know, it's set in the 90s, so you got a couple of, like, token needle drops that have to be in there. There's a, there's a moment that's in all the marketing that involved Bumblebee that had a lot of idiots in our screening literally whooping and cheering and you start thinking, oh, we, we didn't watch any of the marketing for this. Oh, okay, cool. And no, I just, I hated it. I really hated it. Like I say, third worst one. But let's be honest, there's Bumblebee at number one and the rest are just varying degrees of poor. This is just the third least terrible. What about if you've got kids that have always been into into Transformers? Is this something that they might like? So obviously, my little boy's seen all of them up to here, and mm-hmm. he, you know, he he loves he loves it. He doesn't necessarily follow the narrative; he just loves the action and you know what it looks like on the screen. Would you say, yeah, if you've got a you know a three to ten year old, they'll love it? Mm. I would say your son is four, if memory serves, isn't he? Albert's four. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah uh, I would say, do you know what? On an IQ level, this is perfectly pitched for a four year old. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, I'll take him to see it then and, and take uh, <laughs> take some earphones with me. <laughs> yeah, take, take some noise cancelling over because it's a loud-ass movie. Like, yeah, like I say, a lot of crash, crashy, crashy wallop wallop going on. Brilliant. All right. Well, if you want to make your own mind up um, uh, and go... Sorry, and... I have to add one thing. Because this won't hurt me. Spare a thought, by the way, for poor Michelle Yeoh, who won a bloody Oscar three months ago, and now the first time we see back, you see her back in cinemas, she's voicing <laughs> a sodding Transformer. Wow. Sorry, there you go. Ran over. <laughs> well, if you want to see it, it is out in cinemas from today, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Right, we're back with one last ride in a moment. We're going to talk about a new movie called Love Without Walls, which is in cinemas from today. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show. We have one more movie to talk about this time round. It is Love Without Walls. Um, it's in cinemas from today. Um, I've looked at this a little bit online. It looks mm-hmm. like quite an emotional movie. Um, I did is. notice Paul Barber from The Four Monty is in it as well. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> a week uh, before The Four Monty returns as Exactly. Well, I was about to say that. Yeah, I was about to say that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I couldn't really get too much about it. I just The only main thing I got was it, is, it looks quite emotional. Hang on, just suddenly occurs to me. Paul Barber, you think of Paul Barber as being from The Four, from the four Monty, but isn't he Denzel in Only Fools and Horses as well? Was he not? He was Denzel, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. I knew. Do you know what? I was I was watching it, thinking hmm. I, I recognise him from the Full Monty, but I suppose because in uh, in yeah. the, you know in that he's much younger, so it was quite well, hard yeah. for me to connect the two. Yes, he was. I, you, right. I, I always see him as he's just Denzel from uh, from All the Fools and Horses. Uh, yeah. Right, Love Without Walls, which despite the title, what the title would lead you to believe is not a movie about dogging. So this is <laughs> actually, um, this was pitched to me by its publicist, actually, by because I, I know the publicist, Keir, he's a good dude. And uh, he, he said to me, oh, it's, it's very I, Daniel Blake. So I thought, oh, great, this is going to be a cheerful one. No, it's not I, Daniel Blake. Right, I, I will tell you, he, he's wrong. I think that's a lack of imagination on his part. And also, he very clearly hasn't seen the 2018 uh, British drama, Rosie, which this is a lot closer to. Now, this is the story of a young married couple, uh, 
she uh, he is like an aspiring musician slash cabbie. I think he wants to be a cabbie, and I forget what her job is actually. Uh, basically, they they are renters. They they are renters in London in the, in the modern day. I mean, they are they are being you know driven out by the cost of living crisis, by extortionate rents, by an influx of bills they just can't keep up with. And, you know, this starts to pile up until they are eventually driven from their home entirely and forced onto the streets. It's about the lengths that they are forced to go to, to survive, both individually and, of course, together. And, And the toll that, you know, it takes not only on just their lives, but also on their relationships. Have a listen. You got any more gigs coming up? Yeah, a couple. You want to stick to carry out your mind? Sorry, what's going on? Is this your vehicle? Yeah, this vehicle shouldn't be on the road. I'm going to fail the knowledge, so what do no we do then? No one fails the knowledge, I just give up. If you have up. something to fall back on, you're going to fall back on it. That's how it works. No one who's successful ever had a plan B. You're enough for me. But this isn't enough for us, is it? I was really sorry to hear about your dad. Yeah, he's a top bloke. Have you got any ID? No, because we lost everything. Passport? Nope. Utility bill? Oh, for <laughs> sake, we don't have anything! It has got a kind of gritty mm. commitments kind of feel about it from, from the trailer. Now, this, like I say, I mean, when it was sold to me as, as being kind of I, Daniel Blake, as you expect, a certain level of grit to it. Now, um, this kind of gives its own ghost away by taking quite a sensationalist turn in its in its third act. I mean, this 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 eventually goes full Pikey Fight Club, and and kind of destroys any semblance of the reality that it's in. I'm like, uh, oh, okay, you you had me for a while, and and now I feel like you've. You've gone a bit too far. So it's written and directed by Jane Gull. Now, Jane Gull uh, directed uh, My Feral Heart back in 2016, the uh, Down Syndrome drama that was a really powerful movie. I think Kermode was really big on it at the time. And uh, this, I don't think this is necessarily going to appeal to the same crowd at all, just by virtue of just how ludicrously sensationalist, to say, that third act uh, goes. Now, Niall McNamee, who, uh, Mac- I think he's McNamee, um, who, who you can hear in the clip there as the, the male lead. Uh, very likeable, actually. I, I thought it, it starts off a bit cardboard, a bit Riley Finn, but you guess though, it kind of wins you over. There's a certain amount of charm to him. Um, also, uh, I think it's Lily Catalifo, uh, I think, is the female lead. Um, again, great. Now, the, I can't fault the performances. And I can't fault the direction of it. I was so I was hooked by this. It, it I was really suckered in. Find it quite immersive, right, engaging drama. Right up until it took that pivot, and when it took that pivot, I just I, 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 I mean I'm sure this is based on someone's true story, maybe, but I I I don't think this represents the the, the collective norm. We shall say the the average experience we shall say it's certainly no i daniel blake uh, incidentally the movie rosie very similar thing was about a family who were, were forced to survive as, as they were you know between homes except and they were literally like sleeping in in service stations and things like that and like literally sharing like a, a little chef meal between the whole family kind of thing and uh, i i think that was more successful in what it was doing than this is but i think to be honest with you that is largely down to that ridiculous third act and it it just it it just ruined it for me. I was I was I was on board for the ride on this. It really took me along. I was in this, you know. I was I was totally on board. But yeah, it it, it went up in flames for me with that third act. 
What would you say the best thing about this movie is? Is absolutely those performances. It's absolutely the two leads. I think they're great. I was invested in the chemistry. I was invested in the relationship as a whole. Like I, you know, I, I genuinely, I want this. I want this couple to survive and stay together and thrive. I'm really, I'm really invested in them. Uh, and then, of course, the story goes where it goes, and I don't care at that point. Well, uh, you can make your own mind up if you want to, because it is in cinemas from today. today. Love without walls. Um, can I just go back to Transformers a minute and just wrap a little bit more to on say, Rise of the you, Beast? You had something else you wanted to say to me, which yeah. we kind of didn't have time in the last um, chunk. Mm. So, yeah, what, so, what was it? Yeah, so tonally, Rise of the Beast is, is trying to have the difficult halfway mark. It's trying to find that difficult halfway mark between the ambling stuff from, from Bumblebee and the absolute idiocy of the Michael Bay movies. Like it's, it, it sits mm. in the middle. And because it's neither one nor the other, it, it kind of just feels like a, a, a Frankenstein hodgepodge of a Transformer, which, you know, like if you literally ripped half the limbs off and just stuck another Transformer on, on the, you're kind of like... Like a crap <laughs> Megazord of a movie. <laughs> yeah, did that many times as a child with the toys. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you can go and see that as well, as I mentioned earlier, um, in cinemas from today. Um, right, what have we got next week? Well, I'm hoping Greatest Days isn't a documentary about Take That. No, it's not a documentary about Take That, Adam. It's a bloody musical based on Take That. Oh, no! Yeah. It really is. It stars Ashlyn B as well. Oh. You know, from, uh, I think it's Ashlyn B from, from, from. Is Ashlyn B? Ashlyn B's not from Catastrophe. She's from the other one that also happens to star Sharon Hogan from Catastrophe. Uh, the Way Down or The Way Up or Long Way Down. I forget what it is now. I never finished watching it. Um, we have also got Inland next week. A new drama with uh, Mark Rounds, which always intrigues me. Uh, Pretty Red Dress with Alexandra Burke, which Zara tells me is, is very good. Um, you Can Live Forever, new peccadillo drama. So, I mean, of course, it's Pride Month, so I expect a peccadillo... I'm, I'm shocked there isn't a peccadillo release every single week for the month of June, <laughs> if I'm honest. I mean, how come on, I'm even wearing the Freddie, the Freddie Mercury shirt. Come on, straddle up, get some pride. Um, but, of course, next week... We have to talk about the man in red. We have to talk. Well, yeah, we have to. Sorry, we have to talk about the the non-binary. He is male for the movie, actually. Non-binary as an as an actor, but uh, male, I think, within the context of the movie. Uh, Ezra Miller is the Flash next week, um, which you'll notice as a movie is getting surprisingly little publicity, featuring its main star. It is, however, getting a lot of publicity for its Supergirl and its Batman, because that's who you promote in a movie called The Flash. You promote Batman, because it's 2023, and that's what we do now. God, I hate this industry sometimes. I really bloody do. Right, also, we've got a Pretty Red Dress. I mean, that's I know nothing Alexandra about Burke. these. Yeah, that's the Alexandra Burke one, as I say. Oh yes, um, yeah. Sorry, I, I, was, I just, I, I just bumped the flash to the end of the list. I was, build, I was trying to build some fanfare. That's what it was. I was, I was trying to build some enthusiasm. I didn't do a yeah, very see, good job, did I? You move the script. I get confused. I get lost, and I just need a beer. <laughs> Mate, I've seen Transformers: Rise of the Beast. I need a bloody beer. I need several beers. I bet I you do. I had several in me when I was watching it. It didn't help. <laughs> I think you might need to skip the beer and go straight to the voddy, my friend. I mean, to, to be fair, I mean, obviously, anyone who knows me knows that I don't drink beer. I'm a wine person. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I had several wine. Actually, they had a one-drink like, stipulation with, with Transformers. I couldn't help but think that was the wrong movie to do that with. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, yeah, might have got better reviews if, by the sounds of what you said, if they ad- I, allowed you to have more. I've heard people falling over themselves to to. to uh, I, I'm just going to say, be nice, be affectionate to Transformers: Rise of the Beasts, and uh, I, I honestly, I want to smoke what they're on. I really do. <laughs> pass, pass the duchy this way, pal, because I want to hear that. <laughs> Well, um, that's all we've got time for this week. We shall return next week, of course. And until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>